I'm going to probably have to start with a massive disclaimer that there will be waterworks, that I am going to cry. You might possibly cry too, um, hopefully, <laughs> by what the Lord wants to do. But I really, uh, this morning I have... You understand why I'm not just weird. You're probably sitting there going, whoa, what a, what's going on here? And this morning is super significant in, in my life and in what he's doing with us this morning. And I feel like the Lord wants to tie that together. And he wants to open our hearts and he wants us to examine our hearts. So I do want to talk about something that as Josh Jen and as a church, we probably have nailed and waxed. And we're probably an example in this era to many people. But I feel like... There is something so much more that the Lord has for us, and He wants to highlight you as the individual this morning and what you bring and not what is brought to you. Is that okay? And so this morning, I want to talk about and I want to highlight the call to community. And that actually, we live in a society and we live in a world where actually community can be divorced from following Jesus. Because we live in a time of the individualist and where individualism is pushed and the values are what we see all around us. And individual rights trump group rights and everything has become about us and me and myself. And actually when Jesus calls people to be his disciples, the call is to a life of community. That there's no individual, that the individual dies and the community is birthed. And so I want to, in the same regard as teach you something out of the Bible, I want to share, that's why they'll be crying, some of my story and what God has done in me and what's happened. And so I have an incredible family. A lot of you guys here don't know us and I don't know you yet. And we're recent to eldership and it, it'll be great to get to know you. But I have an incredible wife, Sam. She's over there, very tall. And um, we have four children, um, Aaliyah, Emma, oh boy, empty tissue box at least. <laughs> Aaliyah, Emma, Luke, and Misha. And so we have a, our, that's our little family because I know not everybody knows us. Um, but I wanted to tell this story of Jesus calling the disciples to a life of community and how it wages war against us and the society and the world that we currently live in and how most of us would experience at some point in your life anytime there's a hurt anytime there's an offense anytime there's something that we don't like we want to withdraw into me myself and I or we want to find out what is the give me the minimum what it, what, I'll go to church on a Sunday and I'll go to meetings on a Wednesday if that's what's going to get me in. But the call to follow Jesus is a call to live in community. To live as a community. Not to go to community or to be a part of one, but to live it in every part of our lives. One of the, 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 the iconic moments where we talk about the rise of the individualism in Western society is there was this letter that Benjamin Franklin, he's one of the founding fathers of the U.S., and in one of his letters he wrote to his friend, he said, we've discovered an interesting thing. 
If we take an indigenous person, and he's talking about the Native Americans, and we bring them into our society, which was moving towards individualism and liberty and freedom, and it's all about me, myself, and I, when we bring them out of their strong group context, and we bring them into our weak group context, and we educate them, and we give them technology, and we we give them all the stuff they need, and they don't have to, given any opportunity, they will flee and go back to their tribes. And what he said after that, he says, but what's interesting is that every time a a colonial has been captured and brought into their way of living and their lifestyle, they never want to come back to what we're building. And so he said, there must be something wrong with the society that we are building. And so one of the reasons why I want, to, I want to just start by emphasizing the point is that we must understand that the world that we live in or are a part of forms who we are. Your work, your job, your social media, your everything that you're exposed to forms what you see and begin to understand as your norm. And so what happens is we can bring this norm into when we join the kingdom. We just bring it in. And so church is like, okay... Church becomes about what I need to come in and do and be a part of so that I can get the golden ticket, so that I can go to heaven or I can get the rewards and so that God can benefit my life as opposed to right at the beginning, Jesus was completely opposite. And he said, for the individual to be a part of the kingdom, the individual must die at the door. And the kingdom becomes about a priesthood, not a priest. It becomes about a people, not a person. It's not about the leaders or the gifts. It's about how they're used out of a deep love for one another. Do you know that this is Western society, and and I want to show you why it's so flawed, and then I'm going to go into the scripture. Do you know that in Britain and Japan... The cabinet of parliament have appointed ministers of loneliness. They have appointed ministers to find out how to combat, and you can go and Google it, because that's what happens nowadays. We don't believe anyone anything says, we just Google it. I'll send you my Google link as a reference. You can find that because of the, they're calling it literally the pandemic of loneliness, because when they look at society, 50% of people claim to be lonely. but more connected than ever before. And so what happens is we can very quickly replace community with connectivity. We think because I was at a meeting and I saw a person, there's a type of connection, but that's not community. That's not what Jesus taught we live by. It's not the fact that we're on the same WhatsApp group or the fact that we see each other in a meeting on a Sunday or a Wednesday or any other meeting. That's connection. That's not community. If we're living and only engaging in meetings, we're not living in community. We're connected to it. Do you know that connectivity leads to loneliness? And there's this incredible thing that has happened, and this is what we are living and experiencing at the moment. Individualism and loneliness, do you know what it breeds? It breathes a modern phrase called tribalism. And people gather around their preference, 
either around all the surfers get together, or so they gather around their likes or their dislikes. And they say that at the core of tribalism is actually mutual hatred. And so you have movements that start all over the world in the name of justice, but are worked out in violence and aggression and oppression and hurting and damaging. And you get people who vote for political parties based on the political party that they hate. So they're like, hey, let's all vote for these guys because we don't like those guys. And that's a whole election campaigns, and that's how everything is based on we don't like them. And tribalism is the evil twin of community. Community is based on a mutual love for one another. Tribalism is based on a mutual hatred or dislike or like or preference. There's a quote from a guy, um, and he literally says, "If, if God puts the lonely in families... Individualism puts the lonely in tribes. Where we gather around what we want. Or the Bible warns about in the last days, even, even some who call themselves churches, they'd gather around teachers to, to help them hear what they want to hear because it's all based on likes and dislikes and preference. It's not community. But Jesus came, and even in his time, even in a strong group, the, the Hebrew culture is called a strong group culture. They, they have the, the individual is not as important as the greater. And even to that culture, Jesus came preaching. And what was Jesus' gospel message? Controversial. Please don't attack me. Jesus didn't preach, repent of your sins so that you don't go to hell. Jesus come, came preaching, repent. The kingdom is near. There is a new kingdom that is coming. And he taught, what is this kingdom like? What is it like? What does it take? What does it look like? It looks like somebody who, who takes what they seem valuable and they throw it away. To, to, it's like a pearl of great price that you throw away for the treasure in the field. And so Jesus came preaching a different kingdom. It's not like the society, and I want, to, I want to be that guy in the room who stands at today, and I want to tell you that what we see and experience 99% of the time is community and relational and fellowship. Guys, that is not norm. That is not the kingdom. The kingdom is different. The kingdom is a deep love one for another. Not a mutual compassion. The Bible is so... I'm not even reading the extreme scriptures on this today because they challenge me to a point that I, I struggle to, to, to see this for myself. In James, it would say, if you are well looked after and you have enough, how can you call yourself a believer if you let your brother in need go with that? It's one's... Oh. And there is this, this fallen nature, this... This part of us that doesn't want that, that wants the individual. And so, in my life, um, we had the amazing privilege of, um, out of school, I didn't do much. I didn't go to school for much longer either. I was expelled really early. 
I was a naughty child. I grew up. God somehow had did a miraculous thing. And I, I stepped into ministry at the age of 20. I came onto full-time eldership. And at 23, I started leading a church. And we had a one-year-old. And uh, we were so spoiled. But we, we led an incredible church up in Benoni, part of 412. We led that church for eight years. Um, and in the process, we got to see God do amazing things. And we... When they ordained us, uh, this amazing, Andrew used to mock me about it. I was a part of what he called the Gideon Revival. Because when they ordained us to lead the church, the church was over 400 people, and it went to 120. We had 20 deacons, 19 of them stepped down and left the church. Because we built, we didn't build community. It wasn't die to live. It wasn't come and bring who you are. It was... We'll rock up, we'll bring our best, and you can watch us do the best thing, and then, you know, you do what appeases your conscience, and then we'll move forward together. And we had such a privilege of seeing a church go from 120 people who stuck it out to now there's like five congregations in different cities all over Gateng, and what God has done there has been nothing short of a miracle. And even in being used and being a part of 412, for myself. There were areas of my life that I was shamed and I was hidden and, and Andrew and the elders felt that the only way we moved to Joburg, or we moved to Cape Town from Joburg, we handed over to Ryan Kingsley, we moved to Cape Town, we were leading the Josh Jane City Bowl congregation. And even that, we started to see God move and we started to see community and family and a a genuine love for one another being built. And that's kind of the story of my life is that I feel like this message of love one another is the only thing that I can do well. And even in that process, there was stuff in my life that came out, character flaws, character brokenness, stuff that God wanted to deal with. And so we had to step down off eldership. And for me, that was my life. It's what I'd done since I was 20. I didn't have a CV. Nobody wanted to hire me. Surprise. Even all the church guys who had tons of jobs available didn't want to hire me. And I remember in that moment, at first it was like, we're going to step down and it's going to be okay. And we were obviously processing that and I was broken because we were stepped down. And then Andrew sat me down one day and he said to me, I love you like my son. But I feel like, I feel like we, we actually need you to go and find a job. And I'm not doing this because I'm angry with you, and I'm not doing this to punish you. But I feel like there's something that God wants to do inside of you. And at that moment, I know it's like, why is he crying about that? I lost everything that I knew. And even that, who my, it felt like the thing that I'd seen God do most was build community. In that moment of hurt and despair, all I wanted to do was withdraw from community. All I wanted to do was look after myself. All I wanted to do was be alone. I didn't want to push into people. I didn't want to return phone calls of people who genuinely loved me and cared me and wanted the best. I didn't want no one. Partly, I didn't want to live. Like, I wasn't like, I want to kill myself. I wasn't suicidal. I didn't want to live. 
And it was so strange that something that I thought was such an ingrained value in my life of like, this is what I've preached and taught. It's because the kingdom is so much more than the norm. It's supernatural. And that is why sin and offense and the dangers and the things that we consistent, that's why Jesus says, repent. Because if you don't keep in step with repentance, you, you actually won't be able to remain part of community. And the problem is when you, when you fall out of community and relationship and fellowship, you lose purpose. You lose vision. You lose, you just, you just go to come on a Wednesday and you're gonna, you just do it because you've done it for eight years. Through us, we saw God plant churches and I was struggling to go to church. That was a big ask. <laughs> Got to the, a point, eventually we actually moved. We moved to Sunningdale because I didn't want to come and know and push in and be asked. And I just wanted to keep to myself. And that is the society. That is the default that is ingrained in every single one of us. And I'm highlighting this because I'm saying, Joe's right. There is a battle. And the battle at the moment is that we want to keep to ourselves and withdraw and look after our own needs above what the Lord is calling to us as a community. And there is a greater love for one another that He wants to bring into every one of our hearts. And it's like, oh my goodness, how can you require more of me? I have a job. I have a this. I have a that. How can you stand there? No, no, no. Community is not an expectation of what you should do. Community is the life that you live. You live community. Jesus came preaching a very different kingdom. This kingdom was like nothing any other kingdom had ever been spoken of. And this king was like no other king. Do you know that one of the, the, the reasons why they say that Jesus was crucified was because he introduced this radical concept where God is your father. Jesus is the first person. He says, whose father? Jesus could have very easily taught them to pray like this. My father. When you pray, pray like this. My father. No, no, no. Right there is already a core basic value that he brings in, even in the sinner's prayer. Our Father. If he's Gavin's father and my father, what does that make me and Gavin? There's, I've got a whole bunch of these scriptures that I might not use on. I'll read the first one. Matthew 4, verse 18 to 22. I want to show you the standard for Jesus at the time was a rabbi. Jesus was not a nobody. He was actually, he was a rabbi. He was a nobody in terms that he was from Nazareth and what good can come from Nazareth. But Jesus as a rabbi, when he was walking and when he called somebody to follow him, they knew what it meant. For us, it's a little bit weird. It's like some random, oak. do we like have to discern spirits every time somebody walks past and says, follow me? You're like... What is he? To where? Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Jesus wasn't walking around gaining social media followers. Jesus walked like a rabbi, which means when he said, follow me, 
it meant Gavin would give me an answer then and there, and his whole life would become about being with me. So if you said yes to following a rabbi, you gave up everything else and you followed a rabbi. And this is what Jesus does. That's why, he, that's why when he throws the statement out, it's not like the Holy Spirit came in that moment on the disciples and they followed him. It was an incredible opportunity to follow a rabbi and to be called by a rabbi. And these guys were not in the system of being called. They were the overlooked ones. And so here comes this rabbi and he calls, it's like Elon Musk walking in this morning and saying, who would like to come and have a full scholarship and, and walk with me in the marketplace and come and work with me, Elon Musk? Uh, Nick, no, no, good example. Nick doesn't love money. Let's find someone who loves money. No, I'm joking. <laughs> Stefan's like, pick me. I'll go. I'll, I'm in. It's like this incredible opportunity coming. And so Jesus says, follow me. And this is what happens. One day, Matthew 4 verse 18. One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew, throwing a net into the water for they were fishing for a living. Jesus called out to them, come follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. Disclaimer, Jesus had a very cool sense of humor actually. And this is not a bad joke. Because we're always like, oh, fishermen, fishers of men. Like, it's not a corny saying. It actually means, follow me and I will make you a great rabbi like me. That's what a fisher of men was. It wasn't, it wasn't fishermen. It wasn't like an inside joke for the fishermen. Like, hey, you catch fish. Follow me. I'll teach you to catch men. It was a, it was an incredible invitation of follow me and I will make you into something. And so at that point, they left their nets at once and followed him. A little further up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father, Zebedee, repairing their nets, working their jobs, carrying on with their lives. And at this point, he called to them and he said, he called to them too. They immediately followed him, leaving behind the boat and their father. It's cool because we read this story and we're kind of like, yo, Jesus required a lot of the disciples, hey? Glad I wasn't one of them. Nope, no takers, funny joke, okay. <laughs> the irony is that Jesus has called every one of us to follow him. And to follow him means to leave your net, to leave your father, to leave your boat, to leave your, your life at the door to be a part of what Jesus is doing. I'm, not, I'm saying that as somebody that currently, I also have two jobs and my wife works and is schooling. I'm not telling you this like, oh, it's easy for the pastor to say he doesn't have to go to work tomorrow. I also do. I'm saying the value, the holding, the ownership of this is my life. Jesus says, leave that. Follow me. you notice that Jesus didn't call one or two? He called 12. Why? Because it was something that Jesus preached throughout his whole message. And do you know that Jesus was not concerned with keeping anyone other than the 12? His whole ministry was focused on the 12. He did incredibly amazing other things, but his whole ministry was focused at the 12. If you look at when he prays, he prays for those who will come after the 12 from the 12. 
and he prays for the 12. And there were many other disciples, but Jesus' whole energy and everything he did was focused on them. And if you go and look, and I, if we had the time I would, you go and watch how Jesus is consistently taking the disciples back to you. No, 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 no. You're not the greatest. You're not the least. That's not how it works. You're the servant. You love each other. You lay your lives down. You love each other. You love it. It's all he literally taught for three years consistently. Jesus' call starts with community. I, try, in, my, in myself, in my pain, and in my, no one did anything to me. It was all my fault. No one. I wasn't treated badly by any means. It was my decisions, my fault. And even in my decisions and my failings, still there was something inside of me that didn't want to, I didn't have the energy to push in. I didn't have the drive to be a part of. There was something in, I wanted to exclude myself. And you know what's so funny? You can never, you can quote me this on the day of judgment even. Your destiny is tied into your community. Without the kingdom, without the family, without the church, be bold as to say, without the local church that you are a part of, there is no destiny, there is no great calling, there is no nothing. We find that in each other. With the Israelites, when they went into the promised land, the condition that they got their land was that everybody had to fight for everybody's land. In the Old Testament already, God established that your destiny is tied up in everybody taking all the land. So for those who got their land, the condition was, you can have your land, that's great. Joe, here's your breakthrough, you can have it. Nick, you can have yours. But the condition is, you can have yours now. But when it comes time for us to fight for Gavs over there, you have to come with, because your, your destiny is tied up in Gav. And it's the same like that in the kingdom. Your destiny, your calling, your everything that Jesus has put inside of you, your every desire, your every... That's tied up in the community that we're a part of. It's funny how people treat where their investment is quite... You know, the, the Bible says where the heart is, there's the treasure. <laughs> It's very, you can tell where people's hearts are because that's where their investment is. I, um, at the moment, I'm running a business where I work with a very small percentage of the country who own most of it. I do home automation. and um, So I spend most of the time working in Camps Bay and Bantry Bay and all of those areas. And, and I'll tell you one thing with those people is I can... You can tell where their investment is because that's where all the money is spent. I go into some of these homes and it is absolutely ridiculous where they, you can tell what is important to them because they spend all the money in the world on that. And you can tell what has no value because they don't even bother to think about it. When community is a value in your life, it changes the way that you live. Doesn't become, it's not a compulsory attendance. Community becomes where my heart lies. Getting together with people is not the struggle that I have to overcome. It becomes the value that I live by. I base my decisions on it. 
I want to highlight this one and then I'll move on to it. Matthew 9, verse 9. And as Jesus was walking along, and Lucas touched on this one, he saw a man named Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples, because now Jesus is building a community. Wherever he goes, Jesus has his disciples. And you must remember, in the beginning, who were some of the first guys that are called? Peter. It's one of them. One of the first few. And now he's calling Matthew. And I need to highlight, who's experienced sibling rivalry to any degree? I want you to take this and magnify it. Because what you have is, Peter was a zealot. So the zealots basically were like terrorists, and their goal was to overthrow Rome. So Peter's motive for following Jesus was that Jesus would overthrow Rome. That's why Peter seizes the moment when they come to capture Jesus and pulls out the sword to chop off someone's ear. Because he's thinking we're going to take this thing by force. We're getting rid of Rome. And Matthew is the Jewish salat. He is the one who sides with Rome And he helps Rome, and he's even worse than the Romans are to the Jews because he extorts them. Now, Jesus calls both of them. One of the series that I have enjoyed is The Chosen because it's given a really cool picture of how they lived sometimes. And I love it because can you imagine in the beginning when Jesus called Peter and Jesus called Matthew, can you imagine what breakfast was like? When you sit together, morning, terrorist. (laughs) Morning, murderer, betrayer, salat. Can you imagine that? And like, and it wasn't. It was literally the the what they experienced towards each other. And these are the ones that Jesus chooses. This is how I want to shape community. I want to take people opposite to one another. And if they can love each other, if they can do this, then surely it must be the kingdom. Then this will be different to any other kingdom. And that's why I consistently did this. James and John sent their mom to Jesus. And she comes and she sidles up and, hey, listen, um, Jesus, just a question. When you rule, because they were too scared to ask themselves at this point, Jesus was handing out clappertinos when the guys were out of line. Jesus, listen, when, you, when you're ruling, is there any chance that you can put, you know, like one of my boys on this side and one of my boys on that side? I, can you imagine Jesus' response? <sighs> can you imagine Peter's response? Like, bro, you sent your mother. Like, what the heck? You're trying to undermine me, but you didn't, you didn't even have the guts to do it yourself. You sent your mom to go inside love to Jesus. There is this intense, consistent, and I'm telling you, even in community and in us, this stuff is human. The fact that we don't relationally get on super well all the time, that's not what builds community. It doesn't, it's not the fact that, hey, I really like Gav, so I'm happy to do it with Gav. But I'm not so sure about Declan. He scares me. Come on, somebody. I actually do like Declan because he scares me. 
But what Jesus did is he didn't choose. Do you notice that what was the prerequisite for when he called people? Because there were others who came and asked to follow him. And why did Jesus turn them away? There was something that the 12 showed that other people didn't. And the 12 were not the most gifted. We know this. They gave up everything. They were willing to commit. Those that he turned away, they came and they said, Jesus, we want to follow you, rich man. Okay, go and give up all the wealth. Oh. Jesus, I want to follow you, but let, let me first bury my father. Basically, he doesn't mean the man is dead. Can I bury him and can we hook up tomorrow? What he means is, my father's going to die. There's an estate. There's an inheritance. There's a whole thing for me to take care of. Let me handle my affairs. Let me sort things out. And then when, my, when I've got my life in order, and when I've got my life ready, then I will put it in a place. I've heard businessmen say this. When I'm able to get my business to a place that it doesn't need all of my time and attention, then I'll follow you fully. But, but for now, I've got to throw myself at the business, and I've got to make sure that I can get everything right, and I'll put the right structures and the right systems in place. And no, no, Jesus says then, no, no, let the dead bury the dead. If you can't give it up all now to be a part of this, then you can't be a part of this. Jesus' way is, because he's the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is way more concerned with commitment than qualification or maturity. It's the super mature that actually find this the most difficult. <laughs> the more you get to know people, the more you don't like being a part of it. Because it hurts all the time. Because it's relational. Because we're different. Because he's made us that way. Because when what is different can love each other perfectly, it looks like him. Because no one person can represent Jesus fully on his own. But a diverse group of people who have sometimes nothing in common other than the fact that they love Jesus and they, they're willing to lay down their lives and their preferences and love each other and give of themselves. That is what Jesus looked like to the world. Somebody who welcomed in everybody. You can't do that on your own. You need me and I need you. Landing-ish. That's like the, that's that like universal pilot sound. For, we're like, we're going to circle around once. Before, we're going to scope out the runway. I want to highlight that um, this is something that we particularly face now, which they probably didn't face then because I don't think the gram and Facebook were in the mix yet. But today, more than ever, we have huge elements of connectivity. We feel like we know each other's business. We feel like we know what's going on in each other's lives. Because it's, you know, if somebody's child is sick, they'll post it on a WhatsApp group and say, hey, listen, my son is sick, so-and-so, um, please pray for me. And then we post a thumbs up or initially a clapping hands, which is actually, we, we use it as praying hands, but it's half five. Um, praying for you. 
And what we do is we substitute what community would do with what connection does. Connection says, praying hands, praying for you. Did you pray? Probably not. Maybe you did. Maybe you said, oh Lord, please help that little boy. But the difference is in community, before connection, you would only have found that out when you saw Gav. Now I'm not even going to see Gav for four weeks. But I shot you a hey, praying hands, heard your son was sick, praying for you. It was prophetic, your son. No, I'm joking. I'm just joking. <laughs> oh, just, you know, sending love, sending hugs, sending compassion. But that connection is not real. And actually, Gav feels nothing. That's like in James, when it says, you see your brother in need and you pray for him and then you send him on his way with an unmet need. What good is your faith? You've done nothing. And so we can so easily confuse connectivity with community because we're aware of what's going on. But are we aware of what's going on? Are we aware of actually what that's done for Gavin and his own? Maybe actually they needed help. Maybe, maybe actually it's something completely bigger than that. Not making friends today, I can see that. Spotlights are burning me. This is so true for me. You know, one of the first things that happened when all of this went down, I was just like, I would get messages from people because I had the privilege of while being in ministry, there's the privilege of preaching and sharing. There also comes the downside of when you're not doing that anymore and people don't know why. We had, I'd have random people message me or my wife from overseas saying, hey, what's happened with you guys? Because connection is community. When are we hearing you preach again? When are you doing that again? Someone from a youth group in another congregation messaged me and told me that they're praying for your marriage. It, just, it broke me. I was like, that means nothing to me because I don't want to get up in the morning. Because I don't have rent to pay. I don't have... And you're praying for me. Thank, um, that poor little girl did a great job at praying for us, whoever she was. Not knocking her. But I'm saying, I just deregistered off every social media that I, I, I'm on nothing. You will not find me. I'm a ghost. My wife even doesn't tag me in any Instagram posts or anything. I am non-existent in social media. Because I got so... Connection was just fake community. And it was just a shell of what, of what I desperately needed in my life. I needed, and I did. There were a few... Not the masses. There were the few. Stefan was one of them. Guys who just didn't care. They just came in my space regardless. They just heard me tell them a thousand times that I'll never preach again. Done. That's why I was emotional this morning. This is two years since I've done this. And I, in that time, I said, I'll never do that again. I don't want a part of this. I want to be there at the back on my own. Because I'm broken. And what good is broken stuff? Connectivity killed me. Connectivity will kill you. 
If you're sitting here this morning, the, t- the statistics will say that there are a lot of you, over 50%, that to some degree have a loneliness in your heart. That you feel alone. You're a part of a lot of meetings and a lot of things, but you're alone inside. And what you need is community. You don't need connection. Connection on a Sunday morning. Hey, it's good to see you. Shake your hand. Oh, I love being around you. You're so amazing. You're so good. And you walk away. That connection means nothing. All it does is it causes an ache in your heart. When they, when it, because the reality is that I go from this meeting, I go back home and I'm alone. You have these two classes of people, introverts and extroverts. And introverts are people that are naturally discharged when they're engaging with people. Okay? Doesn't mean they don't like people, means they naturally it expends energy for them to be with people. And we have extroverts who find energy when they're with people. But do you know what's hilarious? We live in a world where the introvert is never fully satisfied. And the introvert is consistently burnt out. This is why. They are so connected to everybody all the time through this device that the introvert is never alone. Because even when the introvert is at home alone trying to recharge, they're in the bathroom reading their phone and reading what so-and-so is up to and a status update and hopefully not posting Uh, You'll be surprised how many people post and you're laughing because you know it's true. (laughs) But the introvert is never really alone because of connection, connectivity. Connection can be a good thing. Because you have this consistent connection with people all around you. And so it's things like you go home on Friday, you take Friday night to yourself. And you just spam that infinity scroll that was designed to just keep you going. And then Saturday morning, you kind of do your own thing. And then you, Sunday morning's coming. It's church. You've had two days on your own and you think to yourself, I just can't bear the thought of seeing people again. Because you haven't been alone at all. And so the introvert's like, oh, I can come to two. I guarantee you, if you put it away... If you removed all the connection and you had genuine time alone and by yourself, even the introverts, one, maybe one and a half days, hey, where's the people at? And then they'll meet with people and then they'll go back and recharge. But if you're never recharging because you're never getting away from it. It's the same with the extrovert. They're living on social media and liking every post and viewing every video and commenting on everything and because they desperately want to belong and be a part of something, but it's so unfulfilling because it's not real community. It's just a, a distant connection. Both groups find themselves here, both of us, me included, Sunday morning, desperately lonely. I had a conversation with Anton early, earlier, which is so true because it relates to so many of us. I was going to go, I went four by fouring earlier this week and I wanted to invite him and I thought to myself, yo, Anton's quite like, everybody wants him to lead worship in their congregation. So he's probably super busy and I know he's working. And so my default is, 
this is not coming out of a relationship. This is coming out of what I'm just thinking. So actually, I'm, maybe he's too busy. I'll check with him another time. And I said to him, and Anton's like, you won't believe it. Everybody says that. And so I end up doing nothing. Because the assumption is, oh, they'll... <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> I'm going to read these scriptures and then apply to us. And then we're done. This is in 1 Peter 4 verse 7. Uh, in your Bible, whenever it says the end of the world is coming soon, it normally means pay attention. Just like a disclaimer, if you're reading your Bible and it says that, it normally means what is about to follow is pretty important. It's not going to be like the end of the world is coming. Make sure your goldfish are well looked after. The end of the world is coming. Make sure you post it in time so that you get a lot of no, no, no. The end of the world is coming. Therefore, be earnest. Earnest in relationships. Don't be superficial. Don't be fake. Be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. When you pray, don't just praying hands, praying for you, sick child. Community is, I come to your house and I pray for you and I see if there's need when you're sick. Connection is praying for you, high five. Yo, Joe, you're going to have to help me with the... I'm going to have to process the stone faces afterwards. (laughs) Most important of all, okay, so highlight. The end of the world is coming. Be earnest. Then there's a next point. Now, most importantly, because the end of the world is coming, continue to show deep love for each other. Why? Why would you do that? Because love, a love, a deep love in community covers a multitude of sins. And do you know what's incredible about our community? It's made up of things called sinners. And where sinners are, there's always a multitude of sin. And the only thing that covers a multitude of sin is a deep love for each other. Otherwise, all I want to do is hide my sin from you. My shame. My brokenness. I don't want to bring that. I can't have community because I'm that. But a deep love covers over a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home. With those with, who need a meal, guys, just recap. Be careful. About the end of the world is coming. So most importantly, so like these are things that we should really be giving our, our energy and our attention to. That's why I loved what Annie said about look who's coming for dinner. Please, add a sponsored segment. Ladies, if you are lonely... If there is an element of that, make sure you sign up for that thing. Because even in putting yourself out there, God wants to meet with you. Jesus wants to bring you into community. If you follow him, he will lead you into it. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Why? Use them well to serve one another. I'm going to skip the next one. I want to go to Hebrews 10 verse 23. 
Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep His promise. Okay. God can be trusted to keep His promise. But let us think of ways to motivate one another with acts of love and good works. Yeah, but you know, it's all about what Jesus did. No, 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 no. Let us think and let us think of ways to motivate each other and to, with acts of love. Physically. Not just like, hey, so-and-so is sick. Can we put a meal roster together? I love that. It needs to happen. We need meal rosters. 100%. People need to get food when they're sick. But it should, it's something that we want to just come out of us. It's like, oh, so-and-so is sick. How can I help you? What can I do for you? Is there anything that I, can I, why? Because, because my destiny is in you. And I love you. And I, and I want to see God come through for you because he's come through for me. And if he's, and I need to see him come through for you because if he can do it for you, then he can also do it for me. I know so many people that are just hanging on to church with their fingertips because I don't have... And I'm saying this morning God is highlighting it. That's the, the whole message this morning. The whole, God is saying, I want you to... You need to die again. But this is what it looks like. It doesn't say receive acts of love. It says give them. If you are lonely, if you are on your own, if you're, Jesus is saying you need to reach out. I'm challenging me too. John 13, 33. Again, emphasis on the beginning line. Jesus with his disciples, dear children, I will be with you only a little longer. And as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you can't come where I'm going. So now I'm going, I'm giving you a new commandment. Jesus, I'm going now. Here's the most important thing you can do. I'm giving you a commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Your preaching won't distinguish you. Your gifting won't distinguish you. Your music ability won't distinguish you. Your charisma won't distinguish you. Your personality won't distinguish you. Your gifting, your makeup, your superior understanding of the scriptures, your ability to blow people away with theology, none of that will distinguish you. What will distinguish you as a disciple of Jesus? By the way you love others who call themselves disciples. Can you imagine this? That at the end of this walk, at the end of this ministry, at the end of three years of investing, it started with follow me and be my disciple. And right at the end, Jesus says, okay, guys, are you ready? Do you want to live up to the name, disciple? Do you want to be known as disciple of Jesus? Love each other. Make this work. The zealot and the tax collector show deep love for one another. Simon, the zealot, the one who would hate Matthew, is the one in 1 Peter 4 that says, the, world, the end of the world is coming. So most importantly, show a deep 
love for one another. I can imagine Jesus saying something like this in a modern language. It would be, if you can love each other like I loved you, you will be known by the title that you started this journey for, my disciples. Rui, can you come up? I, I really felt like um, this morning, I really felt like the, it was, I didn't just want to preach something, I, I really felt like the Holy Spirit wanted to come and highlight things in our lives and, and urge us to respond this morning. That not like, oh wow, that was a little bit challenging. Okay, I'm going to do a little bit better. Now, I felt this morning like in the same way when Jesus calls his disciples to follow him. I felt like that's why I called it this. That this morning that there is a call to community that the Lord has for us as a congregation. Not community on Wednesday. Community being this life that Jesus called us to. And so I'm going to ask us to respond to that now. And first, there's two calls I want to make and then I want to, I want to ask all of us. And the first is this. If you're sitting here this morning and you've never followed Jesus, the first distinguishing characteristic of this is that there will be, there will be a loneliness inside of you that cannot be met, that can't be satisfied. And if you want to start the journey of following Jesus this morning for the first time, I'm going to ask you to respond. But I'm going to ask this group to respond as well. And then there are some of us who have walked with Jesus. We have followed Him. And we've also stopped following Him. That when Jesus said, follow me, we started... And then stuff happened in your life and you messed up or you got it wrong. Or by your fault or by something else somebody else did. And you in yourself made a decision and you've stopped following Jesus. This morning, I want to say to you that it's like that moment again where Jesus walks on the beach and he says, follow me. Follow me into this life of community, this life of one another, this, this place of laying down your lives. And so I wanted to ask this morning, if that's you, could you raise your hand? One of those two categories. That's super cool. Totally, I see. like there's um, there's someone here that's done with the plastic I feel like there's I don't know that, that there's a sense of you're done with the fake it's either real or I don't want it at all but I'm done with what seems to be the real and it's not really the real I feel like Jesus is calling you 
And so we're going to respond together, and then I'm going to ask if you responded and you want me to pray with you, I'd love to. You're going to come to the front. But I want to ask for the rest of us as a church this morning, if you want to respond to this call of community that Jesus is echoing out to us of like, I want you to live this thing of community, not connectivity. I'd love if you can stand with me. I'm going to pray with all of us. I also want to say, if you don't, please don't stand because the person on your left is standing. And then if you sit down now, it's going to be awkward. It won't be. Because Jesus is that serious about this this morning. That this is die at the door and come in to live in community. It's very different. So the reason I've done this is because for the first two people who responded, I wanted you to see something as a model, first of all. And that's, it's not that we get this thing right once on one day and we respond and we made forever. It's this is a life of continual repentance and coming back. And repentance and coming back. And repentance and coming back. And that's why this king is the one who restores time and time and time again. And so if you did respond... I'm going to ask Reed to do a song of worship and we're going to pray. But if you put your hand up, I wonder if you can come to the front here with me. Me and Declan and a few guys, I want to, we want to pray with you because I want to pray that the Lord would come and meet you this morning like he's met with me. pray for all of us first and then we're going to pray together Father I thank you this morning that you see us standing that you see that there is a there is a you've cut us to the heart and we're saying Jesus I want to I want to be like you I want to follow you and this thing is not always easy it's difficult God there's times I don't want to follow you there's times I don't want to be a part of community there's times that it costs too much this morning I'm saying God I, I want to lay my life down and offer it to you I want to say it's not my life I the individual I know that if I follow my own desires it leads to loneliness and despair and I'm tired of feeling that way I want to be a part of community I want you to knit me in I want you to be my father Holy Spirit come this morning Come and meet with us.